The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. One involves essential oils and the other a sexy calendar. Executive producer Emily Means and I take a break from zoning and politics this week to talk through two unusual scandals. And stick around because CityCast Andrea Salenzi will be hosting a sponsored interview about Roland Hall, an independent school in Salt Lake serving students from preschool through 12th grade. It's Friday, November 10th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Welcome, executive producer Emily Means, and congratulations on your title change. Thank you so much, host Ali Vallarta. I am happy to be here with you this chilly Friday morning. Honestly. Well, um, fall's hottest trend is bizarre scandals. <laughs> and Wait, please, please, may I read you the headline? Yeah. To this first one? Do it. Because it's just, it just has everything. <clears throat> this is from the Salt Lake Tribune this week. How a former Soviet Republic at war found a friend at the Utah legislature with help from essential oils. You know, the thing about that headline is that it just feels right. <laughs> I know. I was. <laughs> that was it how just I feels felt too. so right because the thing that I kept thinking reading this story is like, am I supposed to be surprised? by our state's lack of accountability when our attorney general has been accused of witness tampering. Like, that's the state of play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just like, I don't think this could be a more Utah headline, frankly. Like, this had everything. And then, you know, the story is just, it's just bizarre, Allie. Yeah, okay, do you want to lay out (sighs) the bones here? I'll try my darndest. And then we can dress it with flesh. (laughs) This is according to reporting from Eric Peterson of the Utah Investigative Journalism Project uh, in partnership with the Tribune. Mm -hmm. Azerbaijan this fall launched a military offensive into a disputed region of the country where 100,000 ethnic Armenians live and forced them, forced the Armenians to become refugees. What does the Utah legislature have to do with this, Allie? Apparently, the Utah Senate, this general session, 2023 general session, adopted a proclamation that commended the high level of peaceful coexistence and interfaith harmony in Azerbaijan. And Senate President Stuart Adams and State Senator Mike McKell are seen in a photo with the... Azeri ambassador. Mm -hmm. And apparently this photo and this news about the proclamation is now plastered all over the state run news in Azerbaijan and essentially being used as propaganda in the middle of this 
humanitarian crisis. Right. Basically, <laughs> Utah likes Azerbaijan and says that Azerbaijan is nice. So the world should think that Azerbaijan is nice, even though the United Nations Security Council has called for an end to our blockade of medicine, food, and water to an ethnically Armenian territory that we are taking by force. And I mean, now this military aggression did, there was this fall, more military aggression. But the fight for Nagorno-Karabakh is like, goes way back to the end of the Soviet Union. So this, this is also like, I guess to say it's more inexcusable because if you type in Azerbaijan in Google and you hit news, and if you did that, let's see, when I was planning a trip to Armenia, which was in January, you would see that there has been conflict for decades and it continues to be a top news item. So all these legislators had to do was just Google Azerbaijan. Like I'm so unprepared to give them even an ounce, an ounce of credit. <laughs> okay. Well, and we haven't even talked about how this was all set up, which right. is where things get weirder and way more Utah. You know, yeah. <laughs> like okay, the way this was set up was through this uh, entity called the Sterling Foundation, which is run by the family who started Utah County-based essential oils company DoTerra, and <laughs> the Sterling Foundation sent talking points to the governor's office about the oh, relationship geez. between Azerbaijan and Utah and how the country is exploring investing in the state's economy. And I'm like, wait, do they have like a foreign policy expert at the doTERRA foundation? <laughs> like, I'm have where, they been offered Azeri money? Like, have the, is like, is someone from the government of Azerbaijan interested in investing in lavender oil? In Utah? Like, well, I think this is the question. And in Eric's reporting, um, the Sterling Foundation didn't respond to a request for comment. Yeah, I mean, uh, no shit. But, uh, yeah, right. But he did note that I think it was during some sort of presentation that the Sterling Foundation gave um, where they mention doTERRA's relevance in the international economy. And, and it's like, okay, I kind of see where this is going. It's too much. It's too much. It is also, I feel like, just such a Utah thing to be so sinister and so naive at once. Like, and I also, the other thing about this that I found really sort of like fascinating is if you were to line up all of these legislators and be like, how do you guys feel about Russia as a political entity, right? Not Russians, but like the Russian government. I just have a feeling they would be like, not good. Actually, my Facebook profile is a photo of the Ukrainian flag, Allie. And it's like, you know who really, really likes when Azerbaijan is at war with Armenia? The Russians. They like are in have been involved since the end of the Soviet Union in keeping this border hot with conflict. Because if these two countries are weakened by conflict, then Russia is strengthened. And often it's been Russia that's come in and chosen picked and choose when to broker peace. So it's also like you're feeding indirectly into a Russian, the Russian regime because you just like want to feel important on the world stage. Like okay. that's so sad. 
I want to talk about this, but also I want to commend you for what I believe must be a, a doctorate in international <laughs> studies that you have, because I'm like, this is not this is not in my wheelhouse at all. But on the note of Russia and Ukraine, yeah. I was thinking about photo ops. Like, I feel like Utah leaders love mm. a good international photo op in particular. And mm-hmm. the one that came to mind to me that that was so strange was... Again, Senate President Stuart Adams shaking hands with Ukraine President Zelensky. Yeah. Like in the middle of war, right? So it's like, make these things make sense, right? But but setting that aside, do we need our state leaders from Utah to be making these connections a- around the world like Absolutely this? not. And like we're we are chuckling about this because it's absurdist. Like it, it is part of the absurdist reality of globalization, right? But like these these men have done more harm than good here. Like it does harm when we legitimize governments that are executing ethnic cleansings. And like that is what they've done indirectly. And like we can call it naivete, but you and I report on the Utah legislature almost every day of our lives. There is a bit of a sort of like old timiness to a lot of these legislators that could be perceived as naivete. But if you read the bills that they write and their approach to domestic policy, they're not dumb. They are not dumb. They know what they're doing. They are incredibly savvy. They know exactly what they're doing. Uh, Senator Mike McKell from Spanish FARC said that he commends the high level of peaceful coexistence and interfaith harmony in Azerbaijan, which is really interesting to me, given that though it is a secular government, it is majority Muslim and it is carrying out an ethnic cleansing of Christian Armenians right now. And like, I wouldn't characterize this conflict as being religious. It's more territorial. But of note, of note. Mm-hmm. It's Um, so bizarre. On the note of why would they do this? Mm. You know, I did want to understand because the governor goes on trade missions all the time. And, you know, Senate President Stuart Adams visit to Ukraine in the middle of a war was considered a trade mission. Uh Uh, The governor's Office of Economic Opportunity says that international trade, including exports and imports, supported more than 410,000 Utah jobs in 2018. So... Like, let's be clear. This is about the economy, stupid. Like, it always is. There's nothing like an economic argument that gets the Utah legislature Best hot, place right? for business. <laughs> yeah. So, man, just a lot to unpack here. Read Eric Peterson's story in the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, it had everything. I just, like, <laughs> love the idea that somewhere members of, like, Azerbaijani government are gathered and being like, all right, where's a good place for business? Where do startups do well? Hmm. Oh, Wallet Hub says Utah is number one for business. Let's go there. <laughs> it's too much. It's too, it's much. too much. And guess what? We're only halfway through this week's scandals. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. 
Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants. But the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments. So if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. All right, Emily. The second thing on deck this week that is interesting is news that the Utah Homelessness Council, which had previously awarded a super grassroots local I think even just recently formed as a nonprofit um, organization called the Nomad Alliance, about $25,000 in grants for their outreach work in the unsheltered community. They do like clothing drives. um, They do a lot of GoFundMe campaigns and awareness raising and things like this. That contract has been terminated because, quote, the organization has failed to adhere to the provider code of conduct, basically. Um, the Utah Homelessness Council has received complaints and they feel that this organization is not up to snuff. One of the main reasons for that is because of something that, I mean, I do have to say, they have been producing for three years now. Like, this is not brand Mm. new, which is their, quote, sexy nomad calendar, which is a kind of, I mean, think about like your classic sexy firefighter. That's what I was going to say, your sexy firefighter calendar, but with... Um, unsheltered men in, you know, various poses, some seductive, some less seductive. Shirtless. Shirtless. Yes. Well, first, Allie, this story was picked up by the Washington Post last month. And for me, it's never a good sign when Utah News hits hits national outlets Mm -mm. like that. Mm -mm. Now it's finally hit local news. And yeah, I mean, on its face... I think people probably had a very specific reaction to this, which was, that seems wrong. Hmm. You know, like combing through the comments. But on the one hand, you know, the executive director of this organization said, and and as well as some men who had participated in this said, they felt like it helped humanize them in a way. Mm. You know, uh, I think one man was like, I had forgotten that I even had a name at one point, And now here I am in this calendar and I like the way I look. And 
all of this. But then, of course, on the other hand, people are worried that uh, this is exploitative of our unsheltered neighbors on the streets. Yeah. And I, and there are more layers to that as well. You know, some there was a family uh, quoted in this story who felt like they were being pressured to participate in this calendar by the executive director in, I guess, like in exchange for donations that were headed their way. Um, the executive director says that wasn't the case. I don't know, Allie. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think... It's interesting that you point out that there's sort of that gut reaction that it doesn't feel right because I think that's probably where a lot of people are landing on this is like I I can like see the argument that it is empowering, right? I mean, if we think about like for women who model nude or like, you know, it's become sort of popular these days for women to go and take like old-fashioned boudoir photos because yeah. it's like seen as very empowering. Like there is a lot about sex appeal that can be incredibly empowering. At the same time, no matter how much you read through that justification, there is still, I think, a piece of you that's like, and yet, like, we're talking about a population of people who quite famously and significantly have very little agency in this community. And I think one of the reasons, one of, I think, the biggest pieces of evidence that this isn't totally sitting well with a lot of people, even though, like, they don't want to knock it necessarily, is that it doesn't sell. <laughs> like, the Washington Post reports that they have sold 35 copies of this calendar in the past two years. It's $40. They're $40 a piece. Like, that's not, I mean... That's not a huge fundraiser. That is not a huge sure. fundraiser. I mean, this thing is not hitting the pavement. Now, the executive director of Nomad Alliance has said that one of the utilities of this calendar, which I thought was really interesting, is that they hand it out to police officers and people that are patrolling encampments to be like, hey, if you see these guys, like, see them in this light. Like, understand. Here are their stories. Like, it's almost an educational tool. Um, do I think that the average enforcer is going to necessarily behave differently because of that? I'm not certain. Yeah. But I I do think like I mean Nomad Alliance, I went to their Instagram to see how they're kind of responding to this and they definitely are taking I mean there's been no comment on the loss of the $25,000 grant, which surely is devastating to their operations in some regard. But they're kind of taking the all press is good press angle. <laughs> like the they've shared on their story like a Fox 13 piece and are sort of literally, I mean, the executive director was quoted in the Washington uh, post mm -hmm. saying all publicity is good publicity. So I think that's kind of like, I mean. But not if people aren't going to donate to your grassroots organization anymore because mm -hmm. they're disgusted by this. One one thing, Allie, that might also be worth bringing up is this population is incredibly vulnerable to exploitation mm -hmm. sexually. Like, there's, I don't have data in front of me. But I know from talking with people who are advocates for, you know, for this and just people on the street anyway, that they're scared and they're they feel vulnerable being out on the street, vulnerable to people attacking them or taking advantage of them. And so, yeah, I think that this is a, a hard sell. Well, I mean, every year I do the point in time count and one of the survey questions is, have you experienced sexual abuse? And right. across all genders... 
I would say a high percentage of people that I've interviewed, at least, and I'm usually assigned the downtown area, have said yes. And so if you have experienced sexual abuse, your relationship with sex and sex appeal can also be incredibly fraught or nuanced. And on the one hand, for some people, reclaiming their sexual power could feel really healing. And on the other hand, for some people, it could be something that still feels incredibly cloudy and uncomfortable. But if you – I mean, power is a really important dynamic in this situation, which I think is, like, basically what you're saying, Emily, which 100%. Like, if you don't feel fully empowered in a situation and someone offers you something and says that it offers the promise of empowerment – you are making a decision from a place of disempowerment. And that is really difficult. And it's certainly difficult for us as members of the press who are writing about this or commenting on it to even make an assessment because it's so nuanced. But what we do know is the Utah Homelessness Council has said, we're not It's interested. not nuanced. It's yeah. not nuanced. This was bad. Now, let's also bear in mind, there's a little bit of respectability politics here. Like the Utah Homelessness Council is made up of, you know, legislators, billionaires. I mean, people who have a lot of power and the respectability politics around, you know, something like this. I mean, that's real. <laughs> that's real. Yeah. Anything else to say on this? I just wonder, like, if we applied this to any other organization doing this work, would we feel the same way? If the Volunteers of America put out a calendar with people who are staying at their shelters in this type of format, I don't know that we as a community would support that. Yeah, like because this organization is kind of scrappy, maybe we're a right. little more permissive of this. Like we, we want to give this idea enough grace that maybe it is ingenious. Yeah. But maybe it isn't. But maybe it isn't. One other thing, you know, I've done a lot of homelessness reporting. And as a reporter, you you want a photo for your story, right? And when it comes to homelessness, I've always found that it's kind of difficult to figure out, like, what photo best portrays this story. And generally, I lean towards, like, I'm talking to the individual. Let's use a photo of the individual because it's their story, you know? And I think it is important that we see our unsheltered neighbors as people. And, you know, I was just walking around Salt Lake City last night and ran into a fella who asked if I had any change for him. And he said something that struck me. He was like, please don't ignore me. Mm -hmm. I was like... How many times have people just walked past this man today, you know, while he's asking for change and said nothing? So I do think we need to look people directly in the eye. We need to acknowledge their humanity. Mm -hmm. And that is important. All right, before we wrap, and head into the weekend. Let's do pick of the week. I'm going to go ahead and go first. My Please. pick of the week is something I lifted from newsletter editor Therina Ria's Hey Salt Lake newsletter. She did a neighborhood guide for around Liberty Park, which was I thought was really clever. Yeah. Like not Liberty Park, but like kind of the parameter. And there is a dessert shop 
called The Chubby Baker. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And in their new seasonal menu, they have a savory donut. And it comes with <laughs> rotisserie chicken, cranberry sauce, stuffing, and a side of gravy, and they will heat it up <laughs> for you, Emily. But is it stuffed with it? Stuffed with all these things? I don't know, <laughs> but here's what I said to myself when I read that. I said, cronut be damned. I'm coming <laughs> for this. And one of the reasons that this is so appealing to me is because, I don't know, my family's like really small and we have a lot of weird traditions and they're not like the normal traditions. And I'm always around the holidays thinking about like making new traditions. And I just want to offer, if you don't want a Friendsgiving, if you don't want a Thanksgiving, if you like just want to take 10 minutes for yourself to have some delicious things without having to like fully indulge in all the chaos and trauma that the holiday season can bring to your doorstep, just go get this donut <laughs> and call it. <laughs> and please report back because I'm really trying to understand like what's the engineering behind this? How does a how does the fried dough support all of these <laughs> all of these accoutrements? Good pick, Allie. What's on deck for you? <laughs> um, mine is also food related. Uh, Baby's Bagels is Ooh. officially putting down roots in uh, the old Canela's shop on 500 South and 2nd East, mm. 200 mm. East. And they've been operating kind of like more pop-up style uh, yep. for the past few months, along with Lady Flower, who's one of our favorite micro bakers in town. And now they've got like real concrete plans. Their soft open is this Saturday, November 11th. And I've, I just really like their bagels. I think everybody should eat a bagel from them. No, this is incredibly exciting in part because a lot of us came to know babies when they were doing pop-ups like over at Arlo where you could get a bagel sandwich. And the way they've been selling bagels out of Canela's, like they don't even have a toaster. Like they're kind of just – it's kind of to go. And You're I not was supposed to toast. Them, I know, Allie. I I know, and that's what <laughs> someone told me. Uh, one of their employees was like, "You never toast a fresh bagel." Guess what? I am a plebe, and I put ice in my white <laughs> wine, and I would like my bagel toasted. So I'm looking forward to them having a brick and mortar so that I can have a toasted bagel. And they're doing locks, like they're launching yes. right away with locks. Yes, so that's very exciting. Um, also, they need staff. So if you want to bake bagels, like maybe it's been your dream to bake bagels. I don't know. Is that people's dream? Probably. I mean, your dream is to be a cheesemonger. Well, so yeah, that's it's right. in the same vein. That, yeah, good point. Just go in and talk to them, and I'm I'm sure that they'll test out your bagel baking skills. Yeah, tell right them, on the tell spot. them we sent you. <laughs> tell them we sent you. Tell baby we said hello. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I go in. I think this is like my Midwestern mom's influence. I go in and I say, so are you, baby? <laughs> I'm a menace. You know what they say? Nobody puts baby in the corner of Fifth South. <laughs> of Fifth South. <laughs> I do want to say... Listener, we have a special treat for you. We've got some additional content for you today. As you probably know from listening to this show, we certainly talk about it a lot. Education is a huge topic in Salt Lake right now and in Utah and in the world. 
And a independent school in Salt Lake City called Roland Hall is trying to change how we think about it. So we have a sponsored segment with CityCast's Andrea Salenzi in conversation with Mick G, the head of school at Roland Hall. And you just might learn something. So enjoy. I'm Andrea Salenzi from CityCast. And today we're going to learn about a local school that has a legacy of inspiring students who make a difference. Roland Hall is an independent co-educational day school in Salt Lake City, serving students in preschool through 12th grade. McGee is Roland Hall's 20th head of school. Welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you. Thanks for having me on this morning. I have an easy question for you right off the bat. You're not going to have to think hard about this one at all. What (laughs) is your educational philosophy? I think the condensed version is relationships are essential. Kids don't naturally come to school every day saying, you know, I just want to learn everything that my teacher has to say. It's it's about building relationships and building the community. And when kids feel like they're in a community where they're safe and they can, you know, speak their mind and contribute and they've got a relationship with the teacher, I think they learn better. And then the other part of it really leans into, I think, meaning. Education uh, needs to be meaningful for students as well. It's not just about doing these things to get to the next thing or because your teacher says so. If they can see meaning in the things that they are learning and an application of like why it's important and where it's going to be helpful in life, I think they become better learners. So how do you see Roland Hall connecting to and serving the larger Salt Lake community? We've been here 156 years in the city, so longer actually than the state of Utah has existed. I think sometimes people's version of that is, well, you serve a tiny portion of the students in the committee and you're doing your own thing because you're private. That's not the way I see it. You know, I never use the word private school. We are independent in that we are independently funded. And so we're just offering something that's a little bit different. In terms of the learning process, it's not all what happens within our walls here. It's really about, you know, are we contributing? Can we provide value in terms of partnerships throughout this region? Would you be able to share some of the partnerships you have going on right now within the Salt Lake community? Some of the educational things are things like we have a climate science course here. Obviously, climate science is not a Ron Hall thing. It is a international thing. And it's got its regional challenges too, with the Great Salt Lake and heat mapping issues in this state. And so that group is learning about climate science, but they're also working with other groups throughout the region. So they work with the Great Salt Lake Institute. They have met with Mayor Mendenhall and the city to talk about uh, city planning. Our seventh graders have been working with the new Utah State History Museum to attract students of their own age. So who better to ask? Roland Hall has an emphasis on authentic learning. Could you spell out some examples of how that plays out in the classroom, what that looks like? So, you know, the definition that I use is real work. A lot of school was not real work, just preparing second graders for third grade and just preparing high school seniors for college is not enough. When kids learn things for a short period, so, you know, I'm, I'm learning this particular unit of work, there's going to be a test on it. And that's the, that's the end point. It's short term stuff. So meaning is what it's about. We certainly teach skills, but how do you apply those skills to new situations? So for me, authentic learning is about doing the thing. We have kids right now who are doing research that is being published not in kid journals, but in real journals. They're working with uh, scientists. We have an internship program for our high school kids and they go off and they do real work, but we have one for fifth graders. 
we have fifth, a fifth grade internship program where students apply to do real work. We keep them within the school. They're not doing open heart surgery, just in case someone's you know worried about that. But they are doing that within the school, but they have to apply for the job. They work with people at different parts of the school. That's the area in which we're trying to create authentic experiences. And they don't have to be as grandiose as like research thesis. We have kids doing that, but it doesn't have to be that for a six-year-old. I'm thinking of a project where students designed, this is a second grade project where students designed a classroom so that kids could learn better. So Roland Hall invites families of students' grades pre-K through 12th to attend a weekly admission tour. What advice do you have for families who are just seeing the facilities for the first time and trying to see if it's going to be a fit for them? If I was digging around campus and I was really deciding, is this the right school for my daughter? I would ask if faculty are engaged and fulfilled and feel like they belong and feel like they can contribute. I want to know what's the school doing really well and what could the school do better? And then I would ask, what's it like to be a new student here? I would ask those questions. That's Mick G from Roland Hall, their 20th head of school, making it clear that the future of education is really exciting and it's happening at Roland Hall. Thank you so much for joining us at CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Families of students in grades pre-K through 12 are invited to attend a weekly admission tour. Go to rollinhall.org slash visit to RSVP. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our executive producer is Emily Means. Our producers are Ivana Martinez and Lizzie Goldsmith. Our newsletter editor is Therina Ria and our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria with additional music from All the Kimonos. We will be back Monday morning with more from around this city. Have a great weekend. Bye.